Well, your big fat mouth has never gotten you in trouble, has it? That's all the 930 people. They were here and they listened. So, hey, last week a squirrel got in church. Did y'all, were you here? Did you hear that on the podcast? A squirrel got in the church, was in the building, tried to get in the sanctuary right here. A greeter did his job. He greeted the squirrel. They discovered the squirrel uh, had an injury, took it outside. We had a, a mom of twin boys. Notice she's got all kind of animals at her house, kind of a zoo. And she, uh, her and her twin boys had compassion on the squirrel. I didn't know how the squirrel story ended. I don't know that it has ended. But on Tuesday at staff meeting, we were all wondering because curious minds want to know. So we called our friend Angie and asked her what went down. They took the squirrel to emergency medical clinic. And they did not pay. They did not pay the fee to get status updates. Apparently, there's some sort of squirrel hippo thing. But they didn't, they didn't, they didn't pay the money to get the updates, status updates from the health and well-being of the squirrel. So we're telling ourselves that it's recuperating and doing fine and coming to a tree and acorns near you. Hey, I want you, as we begin, that's really all the squirrel story I've got. I just think it's so cool. Those of you my age or older know that Ray Stevens had a country song about squirrels getting in a church in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Are you with me? You got some, yeah, okay. Now you're with me. Now you're awake on a rainy day. Okay. I want to begin as you pretend that you were on Family Feud. All right. It's the modern day version. Steve Harvey is the host of the game show. And the question he poses You can accept it or reject it. It's top 10 most popular things Jesus said. Now think about it. I just threw it on you so you hadn't had time. Of course, that's what they do on Family Feud. It's just thrown at you right there in the moment. Would you accept? Would you say something? Maybe you would say, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Maybe you would say uh, the golden rule, do unto others what you would have them to do unto you. Maybe you would say salt of the earth, light of the world, city on a hill, ask, seek, knock, the way, the truth, and the life. What would you say if you said our verse today, by the way, turn if you want to have an open Bible to Matthew chapter 7 but the number one answer in 2019 number one is Matthew 7 1 all the verses will be up on the screen but if you want to turn there it is and here it is judge not that you be not judged everybody in the room has heard that if you haven't I'm judging you right now You can be, look, we welcome skeptics and cynics and critics. Our doors are open for everybody. We hope you're here. We're glad you're here. But you don't have to be a person of religious faith. You don't have to be a Jesus follower. Some of you aren't. But everybody has heard this. It's the most popular saying. It's number one if you're on Family Feud and Steve throws that at you. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, We're talking about gossiping, complaining, criticizing, exaggerating, slash lying. The biblical word for gossip is, it's the word whisper or slander. The biblical word for the word complain is grumble or murmur. That's the King James, murmur. Say that word, that's a fun one. Say it out loud, murmur, murmur. But now the word, the biblical word translated to us for criticizing, is this word judging. Now question, I want you to get all of these right. I don't want you to answer out loud because you'd embarrass yourself. You'd be alone on an island called wrong. I don't want that to happen. But I do want you, even if there's some pushback or some resistance, I want you to be able to agree with me today, okay? Question, when is it okay to gossip? Answer, never. When is it okay to complain? Answer, never. When is it okay to lie or exaggerate? Answer, never. When is it okay 
to complain? Answer? Okay. Look, it's a little more nuanced. It's a little more nuanced. Some of you, and you know who you are, and we know who you are, you live in a black and white world. You want everything to be that way. But today, we're entering into some gray. So I want you uh, to give me the benefit of the doubt if maybe you think I'm going somewhere that's not right or healthy or that would, you know, but I just understand that some of this could be, it could be very misunderstood today. So let's not lose the emphatic exclamatory nature of what Jesus said. Do not judge lest you be judged. He was very clear about that. A couple of things for note takers about Jesus and being judgmental. The first is this, Jesus's refusal to be judgmental led him into trouble. Jesus' refusal to be judgmental led him to trouble. Luke 15, 2 says this, But the Pharisees, there they are again, the teachers of the law, there they are again. They muttered, they moaned, they complained, they grumbled, they committed all these sins. This man, notice the derogatory tone, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Many times over, people expected Jesus to offer judgment and condemnation. And every time over, Jesus offered welcome and acceptance. Let's be real clear on that. And so if you are going to follow Jesus, I'm excited about this next generation of young people, and even old fogies like myself. If we're going to grow deeper and broader in following Jesus, we need to be really clear about this. We need to be okay with offending some religious ideas. If... Your religion gets in trouble with you loving your neighbor? Change religions. Jesus calls us to get in a little trouble. Now, you're probably not going to be crucified. I mean, you're just not that important. You and me both, we're not that followable, okay? So don't, get, don't leave with a, a, a Messiah complex. But we should live in such a way, we should be so welcoming and accepting of people that some of the religious crowd would probably in some way oppose us. Jesus' refusal to be judgmental led to trouble. Why was Jesus so emphatic? Now, we're going to go into nuance, as I said, because when is it wrong to criticize? The answer, biblically, is not never. But Jesus was so serious about this do not judge. I don't know if you are. Apparently, the church isn't today in America. But if Jesus, he was so serious about this, do not judge, you see it flowed from the character of God. Y'all know John 3.16, but do you know John 3.17? But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I'd love for us to not be fuzzy about that. But to save the world through him. Jesus' refusal to be judgmental brought him trouble. He was serious about do not judge because it flows, it flows from the very character of God. So let's, let's move into the nuance. Let's teach a little bit. Let's see if we can get a little clearer on the implications of this. First, what judging, what, what do not judge does not mean. Let's, let's title it that way. What do not judge does not mean. It does not mean that you are to be gullible. It doesn't mean that you are not to make moral distinction. It does not mean that you are not to be discerning. Years ago, when I was 
a single dude living in Florida. I had a couple of roommates, Ken and Daryl. Ken and Daryl were roommates, best friends. They were ministry partners. We, we worked with college students in South Florida. We were just bros, and we were in each other's weddings and all of that. Well, they were traveling globally that summer. I was traveling nationally, and I had one of my friends. We had several friends stay at our place while we were gone for that summer, the whole summer. One of the guys that kind of held the fort down for a couple of weeks was a friend of mine from Mississippi named Vaughn. Vaughn stayed at our place. I got back before Ken and Daryl got back into the country. And when I got to our place, I noticed Vaughn was there, but all of our patio furniture was missing. We didn't have a lot of material possessions. We were really poor, rich in love, but poor in material possessions. But we loved our patio furniture. We hung out there. The patio furniture was gone. I said to my friend, Vaughn, what's up? He goes, oh, they came and they got it. The guys got it. I'm like, what, what guys got it? He goes, you know, the men that came. He just let someone come get our patio furniture, broad daylight. You ever heard, I mean, you've heard stories of this. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but someone came and lifted our furniture, brazen and bold, if you ask me. This is funny, six, seven years later, Vaughn had a job in Huntsville, Alabama, and it was like his first week on the job. And the same thing, he called me, he couldn't wait to tell me that someone came at the office that day and they took the copier and they weren't supposed to. And I was thinking, Vaughn, when I get married one day and have kids, I'm not going to let you watch my kids. (laughs) Hey, Vaughn, where are the kids? Oh, the the, the guys came and and got them. (laughs) I wish all these years looking back, that didn't help Mississippi's image, by the way, with my friends. But anyway... I wish looking back all these years, I don't care about the patio furniture anymore, but I do wish that Vaughn would have judged. I don't want to be judgmental of those guys. I don't want to be judgmental with them now. May they burn in hell. But I I just wonder, like, for, for him to judge would have said he would have properly assessed. In politics, they say trust but verify. I wish he'd have verified. I wish he'd have looked for some certificate of authenticity. I wish he would have said, hey, are you supposed to be here taking their stuff. I'm raising three kids. Any of y'all? I got a 21, an 18, and a 15-year-old, and I hope they learn to judge in the sense that they won't be taken advantage of, that they won't be gullible, that they won't let people get the best of them, that they will make moral distinctions and walk in wisdom. And so judging, do not judge, does not mean be gullible, be manipulated, It doesn't mean that you shouldn't make distinctions, yea, even morally. So, what is Jesus getting at? I think we know why it's so popular. Like, can't we all just agree the sentiment, do not judge, is like a great, I mean, everybody realizes why that's popular. That means you can, hey, stay out of my business and let me do what I want to do. You got some of that in you? I do. That's not just the world. That's kind of us. So, what is judging? A couple of things. To do not judge does mean that we are not to feel superior to others. Was reading something just incredible this week. Um, I'm sort of an amateur philosopher, have a lot of philosophy books on my shelf, and one of them was from a brilliant a writer up in Connecticut, and she was talking about the distinction between, stay with me, she was talking about this distinction between um, ancient tragedies, the genre of writing, ancient tragedies, Macbeth, King Lear, Othello, that sort of thing, and modern tabloid journalism, if we can even call it journalism. And the distinction she was saying is that in ancient tragedy, the audience identifies with the character and becomes empathetic to the one. Now, in the, the 
ancient tragedy genre, the central character experiences just that, calamity, tragedy, bad befalls them. And the, the reader enters into that. This brilliant woman was saying, and the, the empathy, the empathy is the result that you experience that from these great ancient tragedies. And the sentiment is the following. The sentiment with an ancient tragedy is, that could be me. I'm in, like I'm I'm in some ways relatable to them. They're human, the heartbeats and my heartbeats and there's temptation and there's discouragement and there's an evil world that's trying to lure us in and there's people out to get you and and they had some moral missteps. They had some stuff happen. Hey, let me tell you, that could happen to me. By the way, that's explicit in Scripture many times over. I will cite, because of the time, I will cite 1 Corinthians 10. It talks about some stuff that had happened. Some people had gotten some stuff wrong in following God. And it says, these things were written for our examples. But look back to them and let, don't let any man who stands thinks he can't fall. All right? You ever pray for me? You guys ever pray for your leaders? If you don't, you should. I've been guilty of this before because you see, um, I I wish I could quote her and cite her more, but time doesn't allow. But this brilliant woman talks about how in modern tabloids, and she really strengthens, she has a great argument. She says that it creates this today. Instead of that could be me, it's, I'd never do that. (sighs) That politician, that celebrity, that coach, that preacher, that person, that CEO, that doctor, that person in high standing, they fail. I could never do that. That is judgmentalism. That, are you following me? That is do not judge there. Second thing that do not judge does mean is that we don't feel superior and also that we don't have a mean spirit. The famous story, before it says... Jesus who welcomed and accepted while the religious people condemned and judged. Jesus, it says, he tells a story after this. He tells us three stories that you know about that again are famous. I mean, the most revolutionary person in human history was a great storyteller. And it just sticks with us and it makes us think it percolates and it pours out of people. Transcending time and place and culture. And Jesus teaches this parable that, again, you don't have to be a person of faith. You don't have to be a regular church attender. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus, but you've heard this. He tells a story about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, and it's a crescendo. It, it builds with importance and, and, and emotion. And in this lost son story, uh, Pastor uh, Tim Keller was one who turned me on to this so many years ago, and it's really been life-changing for me because there's the father in the story, and there's the son who says, hey, Dad, give me my inheritance, which is a terrible insult in first-century Jewish culture. He says, I, it's like saying, I wish you were dead. Anybody told that to your dad? Hope not. But you're looking at, a, looking at a father and saying, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance, and I'm going off to the far country, and I'm going to party wine, women, and song, and riotous living. And this son does that, and you know the story, he comes back, and the father is there to greet him because that's the heart of God. And he sees him, and he does what first century men didn't do at the time, and nobody in our day would do. Nobody important runs. Have you noticed that? Unless they're exercising. But important people don't run. It's your honor to be with the important person. But this man runs because he sees his son on the horizon. He runs to him and he has a party. He takes off the ring and the, the robe and kisses and he, they kill the fatted calf. But then there's that elder brother. And here again lies the amazing teaching of Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus is not finished with the story. He says that the elder brother, what about him? He was the one who stayed home. He was the one who didn't do the wrong things. But notice this story. You know, if anybody thinks words don't matter, listen up. This man in Jesus' story, this older brother who was judgmental, he says, your son. He doesn't say, he said, by the way, he says, this son of yours. Notice he's distancing. He doesn't say, this brother of mine. That's his bro. You got a brother? You got a close sibling? When are you ever not their brother? I mean, some of you, I'm sorry, but you've lost a sibling. They've gone on, but like they're your brother. They're with you, aren't they? That's, when, when is they ever not your brother? This son of yours. And listen to me, that's the difference between love and judgment and where the church is getting it wrong and we're losing a generation in America if we're not careful. Now, good things are happening But we're losing a generation if we're not careful to be more like Jesus. And here's the thing. Get this right today. Love always identifies with. Judgment always distances from. Always. And by the way, if you want to be a good critiquer, a good criticizer, if you want to do it constructively, what a cliche that is. Identify. You ever try to constructively criticize someone that you're not identifying with that doesn't feel that identification? Does that ever go well? Never goes well. What do not judge does not mean. What do not judge does mean. Now notice what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 2. Is your Bible open? You'll see it or see it here. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh Uh-oh. So let me be honest. When you come to me about something in me that you see or perceive, I'm asking you for a bucket full of mercy. That's, that's what I want, and that's what I need. Does that surprise you the preacher says that? Don't let it. I need mercy. Like, if you come to me and criticize or something, sin in me or whatever, I, I want a bucket full of mercy. And by the way, you don't know my whole story. You don't know all about it and you don't know my background and you don't know the pain, and you know the scars and the wounds. And here's the thing, I stand indicting myself this morning and maybe some of you feel me here, but I want a bucket full of mercy. I want you to be merciful to me, but do I grant that to other people? Peter colossally failed Jesus. Like major denial. I don't know what you've done, but major denial when you walk with the Savior, that's a big thing. When it really counted, he denied. And Jesus, when he was invited to breakfast on the beach, John 21, he says, hey, bring Peter. Because I don't know about the church, I don't know about you, but Jesus wants the people who failed. Jesus wants the people who other people have given up on, who think that they're they're over, their time is done. They They can't lead anymore. And Jesus says, you get Peter, let's have breakfast on the beach. And he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, not only do I love you, your life can be useful. That's love and a Savior that doesn't judge. Matthew 7, let's keep going. I'm guilty of putting this up in front of you a couple of weeks ago. It's okay, repetition aids learning. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's just good, isn't it? 
there's a couple of different categories of people in the world. Everybody else and you. A couple of questions for you. Who are you in charge of? What circle are you in charge of? Let's be really clear. We're all going to get this today. I don't know if we're going to go live it, but we're going to, give it, we're going to get it right academically today. What circle are you in charge of? You are, in, you are in charge of the circle called you. What circle are you not in charge of? You are not in charge of the circle called everybody else. Somebody really needs to hear this. You are not in charge of this circle. According to Jesus, who talks about the speck and the logs. And that's what he's getting at. You focus on you. You don't worry about everybody else. It's tough for some of us, but it's killing you. It's killing your relationships. People not wanting to be with you. People not being drawn to you. But you worry about you. When Susan and I first married, we had a magnet in our refrigerator that said, I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm just saying I'm going to blame you. You know, that's kind of the world that we live in. Philip Yancey, a writer who wrote a great book called Vanishing Grace, he tells a story of parents he knew and they were raising, they had their first kid, I'm sure they dedicated that baby at their local church and that child, that little boy, they were teaching him about God and they would walk in his room and say, hey, little Johnny, you know, who made the stars? God did. Who made the moon? God did. Who made the fish? God did. Who made the trees? God did. Who made this? God did. And this writer tells the story of his, this, these friends who they went in this boy's room one day and it was a mess. It was always a mess, but it was really a mess. And there was food everywhere and clothes everywhere and food that was hijacked from the kitchen. It spilled in places. It was just stinky. And they said, hey, who made this mess? And he said, God did. And you know, that never escapes us. In the garden in Genesis 3, we're so busy debating and dissecting and arguing over what's literal, literal and allegorical. We miss so much beauty in Genesis. But then in the original story, God created humanity and he created Adam and Eve and he gave them, listen to me, this is important, he gave them responsibility. And all these years later, all the psychologists and human development experts will tell you that the happiest people have responsibility. Go ahead if you got money and retire. Give some to Fonda Church. Give a lot to Fonda Church. Go ahead and retire. But look, you're not going to be fully happy if you're able-bodied and strong-minded if you don't have responsibility. The happiest people have responsibility. And God has said from the very beginning, be fruitful and multiply. Exercise authority and dominion over everything have responsibility but then they sinned and what happened when they sinned don't miss this God went into the garden in the cool of the day and they God had given them all this just like he's blessed you but they wanted what they couldn't have just like we do and they said God I can't have this I'm gonna go get it and God goes into the garden and he asks one penetrating question, Adam, where are you? And that was his chance to man up and say, right here, I did it. But what did Adam say, do you know? It was the woman. And he said, it was the woman you gave me. Who did it? Who made this mess, Adam? God did. It was the woman you gave me. Aren't you glad that in 2019, 
marriages have evolved to where no one blames anybody anymore. I mean, it is just, thank God, but they lived in that, in that past. They just didn't, wow, I'm just so glad that that doesn't affect any of us in our, any of our human relationships. In Genesis 4, after sin multiplied, God went to a man named Cain, and he said, instead of with Adam, he said, where are you? And to Cain, he said, where's your brother? And neither would take responsibility. I shouldn't admit this, but years ago, I went to a traffic school. Don't laugh, which is judging, but go ahead. <laughs> but I went to traffic school, and at this particular school at this time, the leader, a judge something, had us, uh, had every person around the circle uh, tell their name and the violation, the law that they had broken. And apparently and amazingly, no one had actually violated the law. I'm so-and-so, and it came to one man, I won't tell you what I said, but it came to one man, and um, he was toward the end, and he said, you know, I, I ran a stop sign, I got caught, and, and I was wrong. And there was a short pause, and then people started clapping, like they were cheering, because it was so refreshing. And I thought, you know, that should be, the st- I'm messing with us now, but that should be the story of the church. We should be a place that cheers people for coming clean about their sin. What do you think? Does that mess up? Would that change things? Would that be disruptive? Would it be messier? Uh, it would, wouldn't it? It would like, we would like regularly be a people that had to confront. Are we condemning and judging? Are we welcoming and accepting? But that should be like that moment at traffic school inspires me to lead us to be that kind of church. But I got to be that kind of person. In this story, Jesus would go on and say this. Is your Bible open? You'll see it on the screen, Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What does that mean? Well, the first part you get, because a lot of you are dog owners. How many of you own a a dog? Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Um, You would not give your dog, probably like mine, a pampered indoor dog. Anybody? Yep. You would not, even though it's a beloved pampered indoor dog that you love more than the people in your life, you would not give your dog a Bible. You wouldn't give it your science project. You wouldn't give your dog something sacred. Let's move on. That's obvious. But what does Jesus mean? Your pearls, do not throw your pearls before pigs. Jesus is saying, don't be a pearl pusher. Now, pearls are always positive. Don't you wish we were a rich church? And by way of sermon illustration, a reminder, we could pass out pearls to everybody. You could leave with pearls so you could remember what Jesus said. Well, we don't, we're not rich. But... Always pearls is used positively. The kingdom of heaven is like what? A pearl of great price. But here it's used negatively or neutral. Jesus is saying your pearls, the things that you value, that wisdom that you have, don't waste it. Because if you tell any parents in the room, all right, I'm coming right down your lane. You have some wisdom, but you give it to somebody. And that when that wisdom, that pearl of wisdom is not wanted, it will not be helpful. It will not be helpful. Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning NFL coach, tells a story in his latest book about his son. His son was a high school stud, a student and a football player. 
he was so proud, but every day his son, at I think at 16 years old, though growing and needing to grow more, he would only eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast. Tony Dungy says he would tell his son, hearty, healthy breakfast, let's have a spread. You need the calories, you need the nutrients, let's get after it. But his son would only eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast. Tony says he came down the stairs one day, this Super Bowl winning former NFL coach, and his son is eating a hearty, healthy, very large breakfast. And he's proud of the pearl of wisdom that he threw to his pig of a son. And his son said, oh yeah, you know, my coach is telling me I really need to eat a good breakfast. Hey, young man, your dad is a Super Bowl winning NFL coach. But it's true. It's very true. It's why I'm grateful, and Susan and I are grateful, that our daughter has entered into a relationship with a young woman in our church that's mentoring. It's kind of a new Tuesday night experience for her. And these young ladies, it's sort of an organic part of our student ministry. I can't tell you how encouraging that is for me because sometimes parents give pearls that aren't wanted. And I want to be in a church where lots of people Some of you invest in our children and our students. That is so good. Let's raise these children. Let's do it and let's do it together. But Jesus is saying, don't be a pearl pusher. You ever seen Proverbs 27? It says this, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Good for you for being happy. And good for you for singing the joy of the Lord is my strength and this is the day the Lord has made. But that person doesn't want to hear it. So what happens if they don't want to hear it? We need to be careful. We need to be shrewd. We need to be wise. We need to be innocent. We need to, we need to be better Jesus followers because the guy is brilliant. Back up, Romans 14. This is what pearl pushers do. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The world is tired of the church pushing pearls. Let me be clear. Romans 14, I'd read all of it. 1 Corinthians 6, go read it. You'll need a concordance. You'll need some study tools. You might need to email uh, some of our pastors here like John Wood. He'll take that. Email John. He'll take your theological question. But here's the thing. They were starting to uh, follow Jesus, but they were judging and they were wanting to know who do you accept and what do you approve of. And they were, um, they were judging people. And listen, they made the mistake of judging people who weren't following Jesus. Can I tell you when that's right? Never, according to Scripture. So we don't look at people and go, oh, they're living the sin, they're living together. They're, they're not following Jesus. You don't look at the world, according to the New Testament, you don't look at the world and say, follow the good book. But also, let me be clear, if you're in Jesus and you are following Him, you don't look at your brother or sister and say, that's not your business. We're called to speak into each other's lives. So as we close, I want to be theologically sound and I want to mess with you a little bit, if I haven't already. Do not mistake, do not judge with the gift of confrontation. If you're not growing, I sat with a guy this week, I'm not growing spiritually. Well, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing the checkoff things. I'm doing the, the boxes, the things that we tell them to do. But if you're not growing, one of the reasons is you probably don't have someone really speaking truth into your life. 
Proverbs 27, 6, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Now, does it seem good at the time? According to Hebrews 12, it doesn't. Look, I've experienced it. i got a lot more to come. You may be one of the people that wound me with the truth about me and where I need to grow. And it hurts. It doesn't seem like joy in the moment, Hebrews 12, but it yields a fruitful harvest of righteousness. And you will only get better if you have somebody speaking that in. And so there's... The people have to critique. There has to be a godly sort of criticism. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn the unruly, to encourage the weak, to be patient with everyone. Do you see how you have to judge in a way? Because who's unruly? Who's Who's weak? The end of it all is kind of envelops everybody in a big giant Jesus hug. Is that we're patient. Every, be patient with everybody. Everybody. Ephesians 4.16, the only way we'll grow is if we speak the truth in love. A few good men, Tom Cruise, cross-examines Jack Nicholson. Everybody's seen it, I think. He's in the stand. He's in the courtroom. And he says what so famously? You can't handle the truth. But Jesus would say, the truth will set you free. So which is it? Do you know you'll have to decide? Can you handle the truth? Oh, I can't handle the truth. So what are you going to do? Quit judging me. Quit judging me. Quit judging me. You're judging me. You're judging me. Don't talk to me. No, but, 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 I, what about you? You see what I'm saying? Because you can't handle the truth. You bought into Jack Nicholson. And Jesus would say the truth will set you free. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going with Jesus. And it's hard and it's painful, but it's liberating. And oh, I pray that we would be that community. I want you to grow. Matthew 18, Galatians 6, and James 5 are all three passages that are clear that say when a brother sins, when somebody's out there, and they're a brother or sister in Christ, go get them. Like bring them back. If they've wondered, if they've been caught in a sin. Now that's scary language for some of us because we watch news cycles. Caught on tape. Caught on tape. So-and-so's caught on tape. Oh, gotcha. 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 That's not what it means. It means when someone is a brother and sister in Christ and they're not doing well, and you know that, and sin is wreaking havoc on them in love, be smart enough to be a good critic and we go get them. And Galatians says, hey, Jesus says you do it immediately without gossiping to other people. And in my small group, I love them all, but they were like really struggling with this Wednesday night at our dinner table. Like, isn't it good, okay, to like, you know, you talk to a couple people before you go, like talk to your spouse. And I'm like, I, I think Jesus got it right. Just go directly to the person. Just go directly to the person every time. And Galatians 6 says if we do it, we do it with the spirit of gentleness and reverence. Because what? Because it could happen to us. It could happen to us. Or it has happened to us. The best times I've had truth spoken in my life is when someone, usually they're in my vocation, they tell me what happened to them, and I'm like, ugh, I'm listening to you, bro. Because it happened to me, or I'm on the edge. Let's pray. God, some of us, no doubt, are so worried about the circle called everybody else. And we've gotten fuzzy about some things that, Jesus, you've been very clear on. We think it's our job to find fault and to correct and to fix the world. 
to point out everything that's wrong with them and those people. But we need to be people of such sincerity and devotion that we are in charge. We know that we're in charge of the circle called me. Thank you for your grace. Lord, develop that in us to be a place like a traffic school. When someone steps up to be honest, when someone says, I'll stop blaming everybody else and just own what I did, that we would cheer for them. And we would say, there you go. Because only in taking responsibility do we grow. God, thank you that we can be a part of a truth-telling, love-infusing, overflowing community. Strengthen that in us. Let the church, this church, and the larger church be known more for its humility than its judgment. Let us play our part. For what needs to be healed in here, I pray that it would be healed. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you stand today? This altar is open. Would you come? I said it last week in a different context, but maybe today you need to come about what you heard just in response to that. Maybe it has nothing to do with today, but you want to kneel. You want to kneel as a physical manifestation, as like a right now moment. God, I want to give this to you. This place is open. Or you take one of the pastors down front and give us the privilege of praying with you today. You come, you sing.